Welcome, everybody. Another episode of Hollywood Godfather Podcast. And I have a very special guest tonight. This guy was in my background of my life during Kansas City in the 70s when I was dealing with the Teamsters to get a $72 million loan, <laughs> not realizing he was part of the task force backing up the FBI. I'm going to let him introduce himself, and uh, this should be an interesting show. This is a one-on-one -on -one with me and my new friend, Gary. Gary, welcome. <laughs> All, right. All right, Johnny, welcome. Thanks thanks a lot for having me on your show. I really appreciate it. Uh, that is interesting how, how our lives caught, paths crossed, and I didn't even know it, and you didn't either. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, that's what's wild about the world in itself. It's so small, but with with yeah. when I started reading and listening to some of your stuff, I was, you know, at, at Mother's, I was hanging out in Kansas City <laughs> during that time, which is wild. And you you were yeah. you were in Kansas City most of your life, right? Yeah. Yeah, really all, all my life. And how, how long were you on the job? Twenty five years, nineteen seventy one till nineteen ninety six. Oh wow. Right. Yeah, I spent 25 years. I spent 13 years in the intelligence unit, which primarily worked on organized crime in Kansas City, a variety of other things. You know, we like worked on the Ku Klux Klan or any any organization that might uh, cause any kind of civil disorder during those days. And that all came kind of out of the 60s. And, and most of that went away by the time I left the intelligence unit. We didn't do any of that anymore. But so we ended up working on drug dealers at the end as a mafia kind of Wish went on the down low. Uh, we worked on a lot of drug dealers. Oh yeah, I mean that's what happened after organized crime. All you did was focus on drug dealers. Yeah, that's true. That's true. We don't. We try to help with all the, the bigger guy. Whatever the feds would would have a case or the DEA, we were kind of always the go-to people for uh, the feds or the DEA when they needed the support and surveillance and, and those kinds of things why uh, they always came to the intelligence unit because all of our guys were specially vetted. You had to you you had to be cleaner than a hound's tooth, as they used to say. Uh, you had to be more virtuous than Caesar's wife in order to be in the intelligence unit. We worked directly under the chief's office and <clears throat> we would handle a number of sensitive investigations for uh, for the chief of police too. So we, we kind of did those kinds of things. And, that's great. And thank God you made it through. And no, do you ever get shot or anything? <laughs> no, no, no. That's it's great. I, mean, kind of, I don't know. You know, it's kind of a boring existence doing that kind of stuff. All we did was follow people around and uh, find informants and, and uh, do paper paper trails and, you know, take a look at uh, LLCs and shell corporations and gather that kind of information or or maybe just go out and monitor a demonstration and, and write down some license plates numbers. And, and so I guess probably the most dangerous things we did were when we had a mob war going on is following the two factions around because our danger was not that they cared about us so much as that they thought we might be part of the other faction. 
Oh, yeah, they could have taken you They could have taken you out. <laughs> oh, yeah, and that. I had a couple of incidents where they, they one time they chased me, and if I'd have just stopped and got out and got my badge out, once they saw I was a copper, they would have just said, okay. Right. But, you know, they, they chased now, who was me that with? I, Can you mention names? The Bellas and the Sparrows. I was going to say, it had to be them. <laughs> Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. The, the Nick, Nick, and Carl sort of Corp Sabella, you know, they were brothers, and then there was four Spiro brothers, S P E R O, and and the Spiro brothers are kind of the young Turks. This happened in other cities, just like uh, Danny Green, and, and he kind of wanted in Cleveland wanted to move up and and move against the uh, ruling people. Well, we had this set of brothers; they wanted to move up and move against the the Savellas who. You know, they had, they controlled the Teamsters in the city and they controlled all the action, really. And, and you couldn't do anything in that culture without kicking up to the Savellas. And, and Which is funny because, you know, I, I met, I met Cork and, 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 and Nick and them when I was like 17, 18, because I oh, was really? traveling around uh, for New York and Chicago trying to spread the word for JFK in the election when he was a senator, mm. when they were getting all those mm -hmm. votes. So I met all these people that many years ago and before the election. And then obviously after the election, I was doing the same trip, but this time I didn't realize they were going to assassinate him. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Carl Marcellus was in, in, in emphatic killing. And, and I thought he was going to kill Robert, actually, not John. Because yeah. he, he uh, Robert embarrassed him to death at his house when they arrested him on that Sunday. But uh, I was always fascinated at Kansas City because to me, you know, being from New York and New Jersey and Philly and Chicago, you never really thought of Kansas City as being as powerful as they were. And yeah. I was shocked that they were running the team suspension fund. <laughs> really? Well, Nick Savella, is, he's a pretty smart guy. He was not your regular mob boss. He was a cut above. He was a cut above everybody else here in Kansas City, and he was a cut above other mob bosses, I think, because he was he was considerate. He, he was kind on one hand, but yet he was ruthless on the other hand. He was well-read. He didn't go out to the joints. Nick never went out and partied at any of the joints. He had one main girlfriend, as usual, which was way on the down low and his wife, but he, matter of fact, he warned these other guys, he warned Cork, you know, we need to stay out of these joints or you guys need to stay out of these joints. And he was that kind of guy. He read a lot. He just was, was, you know, thoughtful about being a, it was a business, a real business to him. And he started developing his contacts with the team shirt. Now get this. He and Roy Lee Williams, who went on to become actually the, the one of the last mob control presidents of the uh, International Brotherhood of Teamsters, he developed him when both of them sat on a Democratic Party nominating committee here in Jackson County. They were a, they were a committee of people who were interested in members of the Democratic Party. Everybody in Jackson County, you had to be a Democrat to, to win anything. Uh, in, in Jackson County. Well, that was like so many they, major cities. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, all the big cities were just like this. And, and so, you know, they sat on this nominating committee and he got to know Rayleigh Williams and, you know, they kind of liked each other, it appears, and, and Sabella could be very charming. And, and he started off, you know, kind of helping 
with if if they had a problem with an employer, you know, Roy could come to Nick and he could get some guys to go out and and do some vandalism or, or do some things in order to soften up an employer that wasn't doing what the teamsters wanted. And then in return, uh, what what Roy started doing with Nick was letting him get in to, you know, dictating who sold them like uh, insurance policies. Right. Which on a bigger basis, they did that on a national basis too. Well, he started that. Well, that's when they brought in Alan Dorfman. I remember that. Right, right, right. See, I was in Chicago. He's doing the same thing in Kansas City on a smaller level just with the locals right. here. Like he, he had some uh, crooked dentists and, and they bought into a local kind of a dental policy. And all the guys, all the Teamsters guys had to kick in. And then it was Savella, you know, people who were dentists or connected to dentists that then were provide making the claims. And he was getting a piece of that. He was getting like a dollar a, a, a van, I think, a month or something like that from the, the local Teamsters union. So he was he was smart. He, he wanted to get in those business crimes, not, you know, he let other people deal with the street people and deal with the boosters and the fencing and and all that he did not touch you never saw him talking to any of those guys his brother did that for him and, right. and his underboss Tuffy DeLuna he's they're the only ones and another guy Willie Tomasano they're the only ones that dealt with anybody doing a real kind of crime that you could see was crime so Nick was was a bright guy and and you know slowly but surely over the years you know he became known for that and and he was the kind of guy that could get stuff done well, it was interesting because, as I said, you know, I met I met him when I'm 17, 18, when they uh, they got they finally got JFK nominated for the Democratic Party, and I stayed friends with him right up until I think he I think he passed because you know I got friendly with Butchie. Butchie moved to Vegas eventually. He did. He did. Kind of after. It seemed like it was after the skim thing all fell. It's kind of hazy for me in there. But Butch about the, the uh, what was he? The a nephew of Nick's. Right. And, and he moved to Las Vegas, and that's the last I heard of mother. And they said he was getting into some movie stuff out there and down in, in L.A. I right. know a guy that he got hold of, an FBI agent, and he got hold of him. Sent word to him, wanted to know if he wanted to meet and talk about you know doing some movie stuff about the Kansas City mob and, and this FBI did he's kind of a hardcore and, and hard case and, and he said, No, I don't want anything to do with it. So that's <laughs> yeah, kind of I last know. I heard of Butch Sabella. You probably know more about that. Oh yeah, thank God I I made a living doing that. <laughs> I can't believe I made forty six motion pictures. It's crazy. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah, it's hard to believe. <laughs> yeah, I mean because I started out just being a runner and a, a, a gopher for Frank Costello when I was thirteen. Wow. He took Back me under his York, wing, so. and then you know, I, I, as as you know, with those kind of guys, it it takes time for them to trust you. Yeah. And uh, over the years, I was living a dream because nobody could yeah, touch yeah. me. I was with all the top yeah. people. I that Frank Costello, he you couldn't have fallen in with a better guy. I mean, he was like Nick Savella. He was a businessman. Exactly. He knew how to make money. He didn't go he didn't go in this bullshit of going out hitting the joints and, you know, having girlfriends and, and uh ripping people off. He was he was a businessman. He knew the money was in that well, the poker machines or video poker or, or slot machines, actually. He knew where that money was and, and 
and he reached out and made political contacts throughout the United States. And, and, uh, you know, that you couldn't have fallen in with a better guy and learned the business from a better guy. Oh yeah. I mean, and then, you know, he introduced me to Maya Lansky. <laughs> then Maya introduced me to Tony Ocado and then Nick. I mean, I met all the gentlemen of the, of the, of the crime world. Yeah. And, uh, and they made sure that nobody knew who I was. That's why they called me the kid. It wasn't until I made the motion picture that people realized who I was. It's very funny, but they, I mean, they, they, they were smart. They didn't use your name in conversation, your real name in conversation or on the phone or anything. They just referred their FBI just ran around and go, who's this, the kid? Well, I know. It's <laughs> I crazy. See him now. <laughs> no, it's, uh, but I mean, it was such an experience. And then when I read about you and I'm saying, wait a minute. Because I, I remember, I mean, everybody was talking about, well, they didn't know the code name Straw Man, but they know the heat was on. And, yeah. uh, and, and, and you know, Frank Fitzsimmons didn't help any of that at the time either. But no. right, what did you know about Hoffa finding God and all that? You must have been all over that. Well, you know, not really Hoffa. You know, Chucky O'Brien, his uh, stepson, oh, yeah. uh, was here in Kansas City quite a little bit. His mother lived here uh, in uh, family here. But, you know, you just, they were like these kind of characters that they weren't down in the North End. They weren't over by the social club, the, the Northview Social Club. Right. And then what we call the North End or Little End. They, they weren't seen among those people. So to us, you know, on the street level, they were kind of like some other characters. Now we we knew about meetings that that Nick was having with with some of these other teamsters, and we tried to monitor them. They came into town. I remember it was it Alan Dorfman and Joe Lombardo came down here once, and that but they didn't leave a hotel room. They flew in the airport and stayed in the, in the airport hotel room. Nick went out, went in the hotel room there, and met with them in there, and then left again. Right. And it all happened so fast the bureau couldn't get any uh any, any wires set, set up. <laughs> so No, I know, mean you have an inter I mean it, it's funny because here we are talking from both sides of the track and uh, mm -hmm. thank God we're here. I never I never <laughs> really, did I, a day in time. I never had <laughs> handcuffs on. And they tried oh, really? so many times, yeah. man. <laughs> but uh and that's why I felt it that's why I sent you that Wiretap. Yeah, that was really interesting. That uh, uh, <laughs> they kind of had you paid. You didn't have any money. No, <laughs> I, I mean, laughing. I tell you, I read that and I thought that Tuffy deluded that guy. Instinctually, he knows you know what's what, and, and they you know they were talking with Augusto. I've I listed many of those conversations between him and Augusto and. And and the Gagasto be blowing on and on about, you know, he knows this, he knows that. And and you could tell Tuffy was like taking everything with a grain of salt. He was a cagey dude. Oh yeah. And then we had other wire we had other audio of him talking to Nick Savella about the things that Joe Agosto had said. And 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 Tuffy would warn him say, Now you know, Joe kinda <laughs> kinda like likes to go on and on a little bit. So, you know, let's uh uh, let's be careful here before we uh, go any further, because they were talking a lot about paying off politicians or making contributions out there in Las Vegas and, and, and on a state level too. The, the oh, I know. It was said that they had Senator Reid out there. 
you know, that's what they say. Now, here, here's the, uh, the theory on that. And listen to a lot of those wiretaps. And they do, Joe Gosto does talk uh, about having a, a guy named Jay Brown. They called him Channel. Jay Brown was a, you may remember him. He was a law partner of Harry Reid's when he yep. had a small law office. Yep. And they also talked about, Gosto indicated that he was getting information from Cleanface. And they finally figured out that clean face was Reed. Now you, you couldn't really, there was no smoking gun in there at all. Right. Nothing that, that, that was really like he had any, and they called Jay Brown's channel. I always felt like that, that Jay Brown was like talking to Reed because they were talking about lefty and what they were going to do with lefty and, and how they were going to deal with him and, and that lefty, was trying to uh, discredit Harry Reid, and they didn't really want uh, Lefty Rosenthal to try to discredit Harry Reid no, because they, they didn't want him exposed. Well, and, 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 you and know, they, they didn't really let Lefty in on a lot of things. I mean, he was a ge no. he was a genius odds maker, and that's what they they would yeah. just wanted to capitalize on that. But they they were not about to tell him that Harry Reid is with them. Be quiet, <laughs> right? Right, and and he was frantically trying to, to discredit and embarrass Harry Reid in order so for him to stay in the casino. Nick Savella, even he called uh, uh, what's his name, uh, Good the the lawyer out there, uh, Goodman. Oscar Goodman. Oscar Goodman. He called Oscar Goodman. I got a copy of that tape. He called him and and kind of was you could tell he was like asking about Lefty, and and Oscar Goodman was real cagey. He didn't really answer him back directly. He, he said, you know, well, he, you know, he gets offended. He, he, he you know, he, he's, he's his own man and he gets offended. And, and uh, Nick was saying, well, you know, I'd like to get a message to him. And, and Oscar saying, well, you know, I don't know. I hardly ever see him. And, you know, I, if I say, you know, it's kind of like everything was, was real amorphous. Finally, Nick does get a phone call indirectly to Lefty. And, and basically, and I don't have the audio. I've only got the uh, uh, transcript. And he basically says, cool it, man, you got to cool it and knock this off. And, and Lefty says he will, and, and which means that he'll quit uh, going after Harry Reid, which means he'll, he'll drop his battle with the gaming commission, which means he has to leave the Stardust is what, what that means. Well, no, what, what they first did with him, I don't know if you remember that, but you weren't there, so maybe you don't know. They made him the entertainment director for a while, right, right, and to, to, you they know to, to put him right. at a low, lower level, and yeah. then you know then when they opened that big sports book for him, that's when they gave him the TV show and Sinatra. He started to yeah. line himself up as a celebrity, to right. take the pressure off, because he was making so much money on lay, laying the odds throughout the country. Nobody yeah. knew that. That was crazy. <laughs> it's like, yeah. oh yeah. He was, he, and, they, and they loved him in Chicago for that. You know, that's oh, my God. Ocado loved he, him. I mean, he, we all know yeah. that Sam Giancana was the front for Ocado. Ocado was the brains yeah. of Chicago forever till he died. I used to go see Tony even in Palm Springs when he moved there. And we all had a problem with Tony Spilatro. It was insane. That, oh, really? Yeah, that's a good question. That's that's one I have for you is what was that like for you out there? Now, I see, I hear on the wiretaps, uh, Nick or Tuffy DeLuna is, for example, telling Joe Augusto that 
even he, one conversation he talked about stealing from the Tropicana. Right. He said, even if they're a friend of Little T's, and that's how I referred to uh, Spilatro as Little T, even if they're a friend of Little T's, you fire them. You know, we can't have that in, in the Tropicana. So uh, how, how did you, you know, how did you navigate around Spilatro? Because he really ran a lot of stuff and wanted to run everything. Well, that, see, he never realized my relationship with Chicago because we want nobody to know what my my relationship was. That's why yeah. even, even DeLuna... He said, I had no money. I had all the Vatican skim money that I made for 16 years with Nick <laughs> Nitty. But I couldn't yeah. bring it in. How could I spend it? I didn't, couldn't show it. No, you couldn't. See, yeah. But Nick knew. See, I had a private meeting with Nick in Kansas City saying, I have whatever you put up backed. And I can prove yeah. that to you, only you. Because that's how smart uh, Frank... Uh, um, Costello was. He said, only talk to Nick and Tony Accardo about what yeah. you want to do. Only talk That's to smart. them. Eyeball yeah. to eyeball. That's why I was going there. So Nick couldn't even tell DeLuna that, hold on, I know the kids got backing. Don't worry about it. Yeah. That's why he said, yeah, he's good. They were trying to tell him to be quiet, please. <laughs> we know what we're doing. But the, the greatest thing for me, obviously, listen to the wiretap because that Ned Day was such an idiot. He should have mm -hmm. never disclosed that wiretap because that's what tipped yeah. me off not to draw down the money. Yeah, really. If I would have drew down the money, I would have got convicted. I wonder how he got that wiretap because wiretap information under Title III, I mean, they'll leak it out to, to reporters. Some bureau agent had to leak it out because otherwise it's totally secretive until it's exposed in court. Once they entered as evidence, then it can be yeah. given out. Otherwise, it, it's like violation of the grand jury. You can be charged with a crime for giving out wiretap information. Well, Ned Day was like a cockroach. He was around everybody that meant something. And I guess somebody gave him this not realizing he was going to put it in the paper. Man, I tell you what, that, that agent, you know, he must have really either owed him a big favor or, or he must have really wanted to take care of him or he, he wanted to burn you. I don't know which. One, uh, one I think it's all of them, all the above. <laughs> People hated yeah. me because they figured, hey, this they guy's in his you. 30s. He's driving around with Bentleys and Ferraris. I locked up yeah. that 23 acres on that corner, and it was all a smoke and mirror. But, <laughs> you know, all it was done through a corporation out of Monaco that you can never yeah. trace. Nobody can get it, anything out of Monaco. That's why I went over there. I was good friends with Grace Kelly. So they gave me a municipal. I wasn't worried because in Monaco, they have to own 51% of the corporation. Mm. So, but I knew... You can never penetrate the veil of that corporation. Yeah. So I transferred the land there, and I used that as my, my, my backing for anything I wanted to do because the value of that land was insane. Oh, yeah. And, and Nick knew that. But, you know, but again, the only reason even Nick would meet me, because I met him when I was a teenager. Now, 15, 16 years went by, and he knew I was still in the good graces of the yeah. people he even respected. That's why when, you know, when I 
read your record, I said, well, we got to talk because yeah. you were on the other side, on the inside of it, which is very yeah. few people know, know that, you know that. Yeah. You know, kind of interesting is, is you were like, you're kind of like Joe Augusto. If you'd have continued in the relationship with Nexi, Joe Augusto was a guy that nobody ever heard of. Like, where did this guy come from? Right. He, he was originally from Sicily, but he, we nobody ever really figured out who he was. Even the bureau, even after he, he turned witness on him and, and he became a cooperating witness and they had him under protection to testify uh, against Savella and them, nobody still knew exactly where he came from. And, and they think he came from Sicily, got somebody else's name. And, and he'd done a couple of scams. One of them was even up in Alaska and he did a little short bit for check kiting, I think, because he was a real good check kiter. And he came out of nowhere. So you're one of those same kind of guys that just came out of nowhere and would be hooked up with Savella. He liked that. Right. I, I'm going to do just do a fast commercial in a minute. we got to okay. make some money to keep this show on the air. <laughs> and I want all of you, my audience to know that we now have Corleone Town... Ta- Cordelion Fine Italian Food online. We have gift boxes right now that for the celebration of the 50th anniversary to Godfather. So I'd take advantage of it if I were you. We ship anywhere in the world. We're in 73 countries. And uh, God bless the Godfather movie because it's the gift that never stops giving to me. It's 50 years now. Today's show is being sponsored by Cordelion Fine Italian Food Products. This sponsor really means a lot to me. Cordelion Fine Italian has taken the heart and soul of the Godfather films and created a line of food products that include pasta sauce, balsamic vinegar from Modena, Italy, Genco Extra Virgin Olive Oil from Sicily. They created delicious pasta, tomato basil, arrabbiato, and my favorite, Clemenza's meat sauce. You will be amazed. You will think your grandmother made the sauce herself. CorleoneFineItalian.com. That's CorleoneFineItalian.com. <laughs> well, I want to go back to my guest because this is so interesting. I mean, to me, to have you on, and I mean, we could talk for days, but the, the history that both of us know, and, and like you just told about Joe Augusto, Joe Augusta was like, uh, uh, nobody knew who he was at the Tropicana. It was like insane. <laughs> well, he, he ran the Lido show. <laughs> I know. And he knew nothing <laughs> about that. Surf, on the papers. But, but, you know, he didn't know anything about dancers. No. He knew nothing about music or dancers or anything. But on paper, he ran the Lido show. And that's why he kept Rob Lee there, because Rob Lee was the guy running the Lido show. Okay, I see. I was wondering if he ran the Lido show. No, Rob Lee was there. They put him in just like, I guess they got the idea. Well, if they could put, you know, Lefty Rosenthal ahead of a show, put Joe Augusta, get him licensed that way. And unbeknownst to him, I had a club. When he got there, I had a club at the Tropicana Hotel that Costello, because Costello had a piece of that yet. Yeah, I remember from way back. Yeah. And so he introduced me to the right people. And I don't even, I can't even remember how I remember the casino boss was Nick Tano at the time. 
Oh, the, yeah, I remember the name Nick Tano. Yeah, and Nick Tano was a big fan of mine from The Godfather. Uh-huh. So I opened this club, and with you know the, my friends and people in high places, they got Elvis to open it for three nights after he was done at the International Hotel. He had come there because I opened at 12 at midnight to 6 in yeah. the morning, only three no, days really. a week. But I made <laughs> more money because everybody we had was supporting it. I mean, even, even uh, what's the name, uh, who owned all the cabs there. So all the dispatches, they'd stay on. You got in a cab, wanted to go someplace else. They said, oh, you should go to Tiffany's. Elvis is over there tonight at the Tropicana. <laughs> right, so, cool. you yeah. know, it's great. But Joe Augusto, if, you know, it's, a lot of those guys, if it ain't about them, and he was that kind of egotistical guy. You know, he, yeah. he, he was picking on showgirls, and I'm saying, oh, this guy ain't going to last long. <laughs> but uh, it's funny. When here we are sitting and talking about it, and they're all gone. <laughs> it's like insane. Really? But, you know, you know he, brought one of those show, he brought one of those showgirls with him into uh, witness protection. When he was hiding him out here in Kansas City, some FBI agents, friends, friends of mine, had to go babysit with him when they were getting ready for the first skim trial in the Tropicana. Uh, and he died, you know, about the end of that trial. He died before the next trial for the Chicago guys. But they said he had this beautiful redhead gal who had been a show gal out there for him. Oh, yeah. And they said he could cook. He said they, they loved doing this duty because he had that gal there, plus he could cook like nobody's business. Oh, so yeah, it was good. Well, all Italians think they could cook and make love, you know that. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Nobody I to me. <laughs> So what 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 did you think of of that of Butchie and, and them? Because you want that's basically you on the job there. You see all that stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah. On the north sure. end. I, oh, I, remember, I remember Butch. Butch could really run a club. He had a he had a. Oh, Mothers. That was a back. great club. And Mothers. He had another one called Diana's. He had. Uh, well, Diana he, was after his girlfriend. I wasn't. Oh, I didn't really realize that. Yeah. But he could he could really run a, a good club and and it was uh, felt safe and and people you know they really well they knew they respected the Savellas hello yeah yeah oh yeah everybody kind of knew you know and and the ones that didn't got uh, got learned real quick they right. learned real quick right. who was who and I remember going up there to, out there the mothers out there fifty first Maine oh. Court came in late at night. He's dancing with all these young girls. Oh, he loved <laughs> He was it. probably younger than I am now, but he seemed like an old man at the time. He was he was whooping it up. He had oh, a he good loved time it. that night. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like you said, Nick used to tell him, what are you guys doing? Were you crazy? What are you yeah, down there for? He did not like, he did not think they needed about in those joints. No. I mean, I was, I, you know, I was invited for a Thanksgiving. That's how close I got to them. I went to the yeah. house for Thanksgiving. Yeah, it was. I mean, I really f- felt good about my relationships with those with all the all those major guys, you know, like Ocado. Yeah, I never liked Sam Giancana, and, and then when you know uh, the ad came in, Spalatro, I said, "What the hell are they doing here? Why they send <laughs> this guy here?" And he destroyed it. I mean. Yeah, I mean, in the three or four years that he was there, he really took down the city, and then he created that that crazy gang, the hole in the wall gang with you know that group with. Uh, I mean, I mean, I couldn't understand 
the amount of money that was being taken out of there for years, and I watched a lot of it and took a lot of duffel bags out on the nitty travel in, in Chicago. Yeah, We'd yeah. leave every Monday with bags of money. Yeah. And this was easy, I said. And I, I actually, I mean, the, uh, the lawyer, Sidney Korshak, they hired him as my re attorney. I retained him. Oh, really? And he got me a Corey's license. So I'd go to McCarran Field, and if they stopped me, I'd show them my license. I can't show you what's in the bag. I got a, oh, really? I, I got a license bond on this. And I, I had them so frustrated for a long time, but it was, uh, huh. you know, it was funny because, you know, I knew what I was doing, obviously, yeah. and it was a uh, crazy, crazy time, but... Uh, That's I, right. what, I what, what conversations. Oh, my God, when, yeah. When Nick talked about this, getting that skim back from the TROP, see, the TROP was a separate stream of skim from the oh, Stardust. Yeah. That's oh, yeah. Nick. Nick, oh, yeah. the only one that he developed that all on his own. He did not have to give Chicago anything. And nobody touched it. Right. By himself. That's like the and dudes. He did give. He he did give Iopa some some a piece of it, but right. he was just being smart there by giving. Yeah, Iupa like an insurance policy. Well, they did the right. same thing with the with the with the uh, Riviera Hotel. I remember that. Remember that because some piece of that was uh -huh. going to to the uh, the Purple Gang in Detroit. Yeah, that was Detroit. And yeah. they knew what they were doing, and then even with. Uh, the Jewish guy that was fronting the dunes, that was New oh, England. Yeah. Uh, oh, what was that guy's name? He was from St. Louis. Yep, yep. But uh, I can't think of his name all of a sudden. They knew what they were doing. The only big problem I ever saw was when uh, What's-His-Name came in, Sarkis Webby came in to run mm -hmm. the Aladdin, and he brought all kinds of heat. From St. Louis, so I mean, it was like because <laughs> well, that's what I'm thinking of. Not not Webby, but the, the lawyer from St. Louis. Because we got a, I got a conversation. Yeah, he uh, was a lawyer, thinking, but it wasn't. I got not, a conversation, not, not Sockers, uh, but the other guy. Yeah, he he owed. Uh, he he was he was Webby's partner in the Aladdin. Right. He owed. They got some money from Dorfman. Yep. From, actually, started with Hoffa according to this guy. Yep. Dorfman was called him up from his office and Joey Lombardo was sitting there and, and he was saying, you know, you, you owe me some money here. And uh, uh, this St. Louis lawyer said, you know, I don't, I did my deal with Hoffa. I didn't do anything with you. Uh, and, and Dorfman says, well, you know, got some other people that came in on this. He said, you know, I, I don't have a deal with them. Well, then Lombardo gets on the phone and he said, you know, hey, he said, uh, you may not know me, but uh, but uh, I got something to say to you. And he, he said, you say you're 73? said, if you want to hit 74, then you're going to have to do the right thing by Alan here. He said, now, Alan is not the that kind of guy. Alan's not going to do anything, but the people that got a part, piece of Alan, they are that kind of guy. Right, <laughs> so, right. And look at that. was a classic. Look at the demise Allen had. Oh my God! Yeah, really. what a tough death that was. Yeah, I know. That's uh, you know you're gonna get get popped with Joey Lombardo, and, and people are already starting to turn. Like you better. Oh, I know. <laughs> you better man. start watching your back because that you know. See that that was already another... set a bomb under his car once, like a year or so before that. Oh, I something. know. But you know the interesting thing is that. 
that's why I was so happy I had the relationship I had with the smart guys. Because a lot yeah. of times my name came up. Even like like you would know interpreting that wiretap I got caught on, Nick was basically protecting me. Well, he's coming yeah. in with a friend of ours and he was trying to let him to stop talking. Don't worry, I know what I gotta do here. But you know, yeah. uh, DeLuna was just a, a loud mouth. He yeah. hated me. Because I remember one night they all walked into jubilation when Paul Anka first opened that club. And I okay. kept this booth. Every night I kept the booth. And if I didn't show up, I'd pay. I'd pay like 500 if I didn't show up. And they wanted yeah. that booth because they knew it was mine. He says, well, <laughs> and it was a and Andy, uh, Andy, uh, what's her name's father, said, I can't give it to you. He comes here every night. And that's what pissed a lot of them off, even Spilatro, because they were trying to say, who is this kid? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which got them crazy. <laughs> Fortunately, I'm still here, and they're not. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> so what were some of the highlights of, of, of like major stuff that you saw there, now that it's all behind you? Oh, I don't know. It was, uh, it was kind of blurred away right now, but... Uh... I, I, I would guess. See, we had a mob, this mob war going on, and that's what I ended up right in the middle of that mob war, and and it was it got crazy here for a while. I mean, it was it was unbelievable. We had uh, uh, started off with uh, one murder of of the oldest Spiro brother, and then uh, Nick Spiro or Nick Savella, being the guy that he is, he puts out the word that this other guy who didn't kill Nick Sparrow, he's the one that did the killing, then they killed him, trying to deflect, you know, yeah, any attention. Let from, some pressure uh, off. From, from the Sparrow younger brothers. But uh, the, the youngest brother, Carl Sparrow, had just gotten out of the penitentiary from the job of uh, jewelry robbery he'd done several years before. And, and he was a pretty major thief, national. You know, he would travel around and do really big jewelry scores. And, and he had two other brothers that were kind of like, they were basically teamsters is what they were. They worked the docks. One of them had become a business agent and, and had always worked the docks. But they all, man, they, he got his brothers together and they started this war with the Spiro and the Savellas. Like you couldn't believe, uh, we got a wiretap, Nick and, and Court talking about, you know, how do we get this guy? We, you know, he lives, he, lived, he moved out in the country, this youngest Spiro brother. He moved out in the country to a, kind of a, they had little hobby farms and he lived up on a hill with about 10 acres around him. And you couldn't get within, oh shit, you couldn't get within a half a mile of this house without being seen. Wow. Uh, and, and they were talking about that, you know, how we can't, you know, we can't do anything out there. And they said, we'd have to get somebody that could like, you know, go through the fields, run up through the fields <laughs> to get to his house. And, and we, our guys aren't in shape for that. <laughs> and you guy has, you had all that on tape. Yeah, yeah. But how did so how did the Spiro brothers recruit anybody against the Savellas? Well, it, you know, it's did good they question. get them out of town? <laughs> From out of town? Well, this Carl's this Carl Spiro was was a real well liked guy in that that professional criminal world between the mob guys. And the Square John people, you know, like like Henry Hill is a good example 
uh, of that kind of a guy. He's a professional criminal. He was raised in and around mob guys. He's never done anything but but be a thief. And so he was, Carl Sparrow was, he was Italian, but he was one of those guys. And he started recruiting among those other guys saying, you know, hey, come with me and we'll move in on these Savellas and, and we'll get some of that action that, that they've got. You know, like they wanted to move in on the Teamsters and he had a couple of relatives already working for the Teamsters. And one of them was a business agent and, and they were, Savellas were keeping that Sparrow brother, you know, tamped down and, and they, and Teamsters like these guys. And so you're kind of your rank and file person out there in that world like these Sparrow brothers. And there's a lot of jealousy about the Savellas. Oh, so yeah. he started recruiting and and I even and you know I even talked to people. They told him that's exactly what he told me. This was a, a Peckerwood or a non-Italian who had a, a basement building business, but was kind of a quasi-criminal himself, wanted to be. And I got a I got an in with him, and he told me. He said, "Yeah." I said, "Carl said, come. We're going after those Savellas. You know, we're 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 going to do something here. I'm I'm putting together a crew, and, and you know, if I could find it out." You know, the Savellas have found out that he oh, was yeah. going around oh. saying that kind of stuff by then. Well, then the bomb started and, and, the, and the, the murder started about that time. They had they caught all three Sparrow brothers in one tavern one night. And, and, they, you know, we were out trying to, we knew this was going on. Two of our guys had just driven by the tavern and they saw Carl Sparrow was on the phone and just inside the front door. They drove on down the roadways and, and, and they hear a call come out that there's been shots fired at the Virginia Tavern. So they turn around and go back and there's Carl Sparrow laying out in the middle of the street. Well, just as these guys were driving by, probably three other guys in, in ski masks came in the back door and two of them went right to the Joe and Mike Sparrow and started shooting them up. And Carl Sparrow was up by the front door on the payphone and he ran out the front door. They ran out the front door and popped him with a shotgun as he crossed the street. And so it killed one of them and wounded the other one inside. And Carl Sparrow was wounded, but he, he, and he was paralyzed from the waist down, but he never slowed down after he came back really? from uh, healing up. He never slowed down. He kept after those, uh, Sabellas, uh, the whole time. And wow. How the hell, I mean, wh why did he think he could beat them? I mean, look, I mean, Jesus. Yes. Yeah, I don't know. Hubris, you know, he, he, his reach ex, uh, exceeded his grasp. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Something so, I've been accused of. My reach often exceeds my grasp. His reach <laughs> exceeded his grasp. See, he had no idea of his level about the Teamsters, about the, the money coming from the casinos, how much how much influence Nick Savella had on a national basis over the Teamsters. And respected you know, throughout the world. And respected, yeah. Yeah. They they would call him Mr. Savella That's in right. Chicago and Milwaukee and, and uh uh Cleveland. So yeah, he was he was really no, well there was, respected and I remember even as a kid, the only people that had that kind of respect was uh, Costello, Ocardo, Nick Savella. Yeah, very few people, and uh, that's because they were quiet money makers, right? And big money makers, and yeah. they didn't play games very quietly. They'll take care of you. Yeah. <laughs> and and I, I think another thing people don't really realize is is Nick was was an integral part of the relationship with the International Brotherhood of Teamsters. Oh yeah. 
And, and you know, back east, they don't, in New York, the five families, they don't think so much about because that's a whole different game. But out of here in the Midwest and the rest of the United States, oh, that's huge. When, when you control that kind the of membership, union, you yeah, control and, elections. And so you, that's the right. whole thing. Right. And, and you, you know, with a union, you just go to one guy and say, tell all your guys to vote for Robert Kennedy. Tell all your guys nationwide to vote for, you know, whatever. Tell all your guys in Chicago and Illinois to vote for Jim Thompson as governor. You well, tell all your guys. I could tell you Chicago had the Culinary Union and the Teamsters. Marcellus, they did, didn't had, they? Marcellus had the International Longshoremen along with the Anastasias in New York. You're talking about right. membership bodies that could swing an election. <laughs> Right. And that's all, and, I learned all of that as a kid, just running around, wondering why I was sending all these messages. And then I realized <laughs> when they, the nomination came out, he was in. Yeah, so you were, you were part of that on, you know, on your level. You're, you're, you were a big part of that. And, and a lot of your normal like mob fans, if you will, uh, uh, people that look at the mob or entertained by the mob, they don't really, that stuff wasn't so fun. It's not so fun because it's a lot of boring paperwork. It's a lot of, you know, elections and, and transfer of amounts of cash to people and everybody is quiet about it. And, and God, to have those unions gives you political power. And also oh. those unions can then turn around and donate money to different politicians and, and judges run for election too. And and so no, that many was states, it. so you know they you know they then go back you know they donate their money, which you know the mob tells them you go donate money to this guy, and then you own that guy. And that was see that was the education I got without them knowing I was really absorbing it. You know they knew, yeah. and my 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 loyalty to Costello for the first three or four years. Then they said, I got the guy. This is the kid. He's, he'd be taking care of this. And, but I learned. And then even late at night when I was hanging out at the Copa room, because every Saturday I'd wind up at the Sands Hotel, especially mm -hmm. when the Rat Pack was there because they wanted him to babysit JFK. And JFK wanted all the broads yeah. and Peter Lawford. <laughs> so I got in in the end of that. And I was like 18 oh. <laughs> years old. It was crazy. Really? But I mean, uh, Talk about it. and like you're saying, man. it wasn't the street glorified and hanging around with those five-inch collars with a bunch of bimbos in nightclubs. Yeah, no. I was nowhere, and nobody knew what I was doing. I was glad, because here I am now, and that's why a lot of people, when they read my book, they say, oh, come on, this is all malarkey, it's all bullshit, because Nobody knew what I was doing. And even Spilatro <laughs> didn't know what I was doing. Because he was wondering, why? how could this guy can have all this power here? What does he do? Yeah. And nobody could tell him. Because they didn't know. That's what it was. You know, a handful of people knew what I was doing. Yeah. And that's what kept me alive, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it's... Uh, what a pleasure having you on, though. It's, I mean... I could well, talk you. to you for days, though. It's so, <laughs> the knowledge you have, and, you know, it's a world that there's very few people I could sit and talk to, because who knows that yeah. world when you think about it? Yeah. <laughs> the people on the other side are all dead. Nick's yeah, dead, everybody's dead. But to have someone like you with your knowledge, I, I really consider this a privilege, 
And I hope we could do this again. Believe me. Oh, yeah. Sure. Anytime. And, and the, the 50 minutes just flew by as we <laughs> knew it would. Is it gone by? All right. Yeah. That was cool. All right. Yeah. So, I mean, I want to thank you again. And uh, we'll send you a copy and, and share it with your, okay. your people and podcast. What, what's your podcast? Let my people know. It's Gangland Wire. Gangland Wire. Oh, that's a Gangland good one. Gangland Wire. <laughs> yeah. YouTube and uh, the audio podcast. Oh, yeah. All the podcast apps, and I'm on YouTube too. I didn't used to, and I changed up, and I decided to do with these Zoom calls. I got some videos, so I've been putting everything on YouTube also. Oh, yeah. That's perfect. Well, my yeah. technician, Mike, will get, get you everything. Uh, okay. We may call you again. Pat is so disappointed because he couldn't be on the call. But he okay, got... Well, let's do it again. He got hit with that COVID over the weekend. Uh, I feel his pain. I got hit with it last week myself and it just got over it, it. It's the second time. So with that said... Mine's the second time, too. I've, been, I've got three shots and two bouts of COVID. You know, I, I, I know, it's never crazy. Get it again. <laughs> but he had so many questions, and he's he's so envious of me at this point. Well, but I really appreciate when he gets back you. to work. Why, when he gets back to work, let's do this again. Oh yeah, please. Thank you so much. God okay. bless you. And All right, Johnny. Again, thank you. Okay. All Thanks right. for having me. All right. Well, to all my listeners, we know we're not doing a mailbag because I was not going to interrupt this conversation. And we'll be back next week, as usual, with the crew. Stay tuned. Give us the interviews. Give us the reviews. And tell your friends. God bless you all. Thank you. Woo! If you're feeling sad and lonely, there's a service I could render. I'm the one who loves you only. I could be so warm, so tender. Call me. Don't be afraid, you can call me. Maybe it's late, but Thank just you call for tuning me. in to the Hollywood call Godfather podcast. You can contact Gianni Russo, Patrick Picciarelli, or myself, Megan Horan, with your questions and comments through the contact section of our website, hollywoodgodfatherpodcast.com, which is where you can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter. You can also call and leave us a message at 646-776-3038. Remember to follow us on Instagram at Hollywood Godfather and on Facebook, as well as leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd like to know what you like about what we're doing, what you'd like to hear in the future, and anything else you might suggest to improve our podcast. Most importantly, hit the subscribe button. We'll be back next week with stories of the mob and Hollywood, as well as answers to your messages. Good night. Call me. Don't be afraid. You can call me. Maybe it's late, but just call me. Tell me and I'll be around. I'll be around.